Hello, listeners. Before you listen to this episode with Brandon Oldham, which we record over three weeks ago, many things have happened in our world. And while we covered many topics that are even more relevant today, the light tone may not reflect our current environment, but the humor is something we could all use today. I hope you enjoy this look back at the world that was three weeks ago. For George Floyd, for Breonna Taylor, for Sean Reed, for Ahmaud Arbery, for Terrence Crutcher, and all the others who were killed because of the color of their skin, the people they loved, or the God they prayed to, a moment of silence, and then a lifetime of action. Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast about the change agents working to make Tulsa a more vibrant and inclusive place. I'm your chief philanthropod, Jesse Ulrich. I'm your vice admiral philanthropod, Chris Miller. And today, our guest is Brandon Oldham, program officer on the vibrant and inclusive Tulsa team. We talked to Brandon about using rainbows and puppy dogs to make Tulsa a more vibrant and inclusive place, sort of. We talk about basketball and how these lessons apply to community work. We also talk about how Brandon creates some normalcy in this crazy world by wearing shoes around the house again, including some sweet duck camo Air Max 90s. Enjoy. We are very excited to have Brandon Oldham, a program officer of the George Kaiser Family Foundation on the podcast today. Hey, Brandon, how you doing? Good. How are you? Doing all right. Enjoying the nice weather for once. So during the the weirds, the coronavirus pandemic, the first question we've been asking our guests are, how you doing with with this? <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean by this? <laughs> like the fact we are living through a pandemic, our lives have changed, like how we work has changed, how we interact with people have, has changed, how you're dealing with the sort of lack of input, lack of engagement with other people and having to do love things via your webcam on your laptop i'm a very social person so i'll start out with that so i am <laughs> a little as are uh, we yeah i was i was going a, a little stir crazy initially i found a little bit of a rhythm and then that rhythm just got annoying i'm navigating but really what really helped me i got to the point where i just kind of accepted like the world that i had become accustomed of and the ways in which i was functioning in that world like that's no longer coming back and so being okay with it and grounded in how do, how am I building now? And one of the first things I, I did in order to be prepared to build is I started wearing shoes again because I really like shoes. And so I was just around the house walking around in slippers, socks. So I started wearing my, my sneakers again. I do see a lot of shoe boxes behind you for our listeners who will not see that. Will not see that. I believe you are a fan of shoes and I have quite a few, it looks like. I am a fan of the art of the sneaker. That is that is very true. There really needs to be a, a parody Trump book called the the art of the sneaker. Anyway, <laughs> mm, mm. so you're trying to build new routines. Yeah, for yeah. This. So started getting up. I used to kind of pop up because it was it was so new. I would just pop up, brush my teeth, you know, wash my face a little bit, and pull out my laptop, jump on the phone, get right to work, if you will. Yeah, it was about two weeks in, and I was just like, I, all right, 
we gotta we gotta put some barriers up. I started getting up and just taking about ninety minutes to two hours. Whereas, hey, I don't have any children. Me and my wife, she does not like to get up early, so I would just get <laughs> up and have some time to myself to to think, to read, to go outside, all those things, and then just made those things kind of ritual. So opening up the blinds every morning, making coffee every morning. I don't drink coffee every morning, but I know, you know, wife loves coffee, so I'll make make coffee so she has it when she gets up. All those those little things that give me a sense of like home is okay. Now you can turn to to the office. And so then I decided I needed that physical separation. Like I, I longed for it. I didn't realize how much I appreciated it uh, until it was gone, the physical separation of work and home. Mm-hmm. And so what I started doing was either working in on my front porch when the weather was nice, working in my dining room at times, just because it's a funny background. It's animals chewing bubblegum. <laughs> <laughs> or came in here into what we jokingly call a sneaker room. Nice, nice. <laughs> Yeah, I can't see where you got the name from. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, one of my big struggles have been that I actually find myself working a lot more than I was because, yeah, I mean, I get up and I can get right to work. I end up working longer because there isn't that that physical separation. Right. And you don't have to worry about, well, you still have to worry about being late, but you're like, hey, I'm right here. I can just hop off the phone, hop onto the computer, hop off the computer, hop onto another Zoom. And before you've done way too much, scheduled yourself way too, way too thin and uh, forgotten that the refrigerator is about 10 steps away and you don't even, you didn't go see it all day. Well, I, I unfortunately haven't had too much of that problem. I've been, having, <laughs> I, yeah. I end up bringing a couple snacks over to my workstation, which is, which has caused a whole different problem. Yeah, the, the Corona 15, I'm calling it. I mean, I already had that problem because I've been working from home since, I guess, October when my company technically started and before all this i was able to like go have a coffee meeting with somebody yeah do something break up the day in some way and now mm-hmm. yeah it's like like when do i get up how long after i get up do i start working how late into the evening L- amazingly i've been working less in the evenings than i used to nice maybe because maybe because i'm not leaving the house so much i'm getting more work done during the day mm-hmm. i don't know my the, the work never ends for someone who's trying to start their own business so <laughs> yeah. well it's also the I, i've seen a couple of things online like hey you got to come out of this with a new skill new business kind of all those those things and i was like yeah what i want to come out of this is a, a new sense of zen i yeah, come out of this with a new sense of of balance and i don't knock anybody who who that is their continued hustle that's their continued grind that's their coping me- mechanism mm-hmm. uh if you will but that's that's just not mine and so I've been really leaning into to what that means. I'll do a couple of stretches every now and again. I, I like to run with a group of friends of mine, like, of course, social distanced. And I always come up the, in the very back of the group because I'm the slowest. I just have to throw that out there as well. <laughs> but yeah, I it's, it's just that's just not what what my routine is. And that's not how I'm coping. And then the other side I think about with that is in terms of what you're saying there, Jesse, grind never stops jumping on and keeping going. I think I think that's that's something that we've got to rethink. That that grind that we might have been working on is for the world that we knew before, and that's not how things look now. Mm-hmm. Well, and and where where I work, they've started telling people it's like, hey, take some vacation. We know you mm-hmm. can't go anywhere, but yep. people people aren't taking their vacation. So from one standpoint, yeah, companies are worried that half their work workforce is going to disappear the second half of the year, right? And that's hard to to deal with from a productivity. But the other side of it is they're they're very worried about people's, you know, mental well-being 
because a lot of people, if they're not going somewhere, they don't think about taking vacation. So telling people, hey, you need to have, even if it's just take an occasional three-day weekend or yeah. take off a Wednesday, whatever it is, just get yourself separated from work sometime. I can't get any vacation. My boss is the real asshole. So, uh, you got to look wanna... at him all the time in the mirror. I know. Yeah. For... <laughs> very, it's very unpleasant. I'd make it I'd, – I'd report to HR, but, but that person's also HR. So <laughs> – I want to get to, I want to get to the work that you do for GKFF, but I also bef- before we get to that, I want to ask a very interesting question because somebody thinks they're really important. An interesting question, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I said, uh, this question comes from the guy upstairs, so <laughs> I'm legally required to say that. <laughs> because of all of the, the Zoom meetings and the remote work people have been doing, I'm wondering if when we are back to a quasi-normal where people are at offices, do you think the amount of meetings people will have will be less or more? I feel like these Zoom meetings have shown how unnecessary a lot of meetings are. Ooh. Or maybe doing them remotely instead of having to get everyone into a room. And so I, I want, as someone who I know I know has a lot of meetings, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen when we're back to being able to see people in person? I think people will miss the interaction a lot. I think there will be more meetings than we probably were having before. I do think they might be a little more more poignant. Like we might just get to the point and say like, let's let's make sure we got this thing ironed out. But there's definitely still some some relationship building, some connecting that, that happens from being face to face. I agree. You can't like having a coffee meeting with someone is not as it is more engaging and more personal than doing a a Zoom or Skype or whatever yeah. we're calling it. Yeah. One of the things that I was kind of getting to, as you're saying, like I, I used to have a, a, a lot of coffee meetings uh, and I'm not a big coffee drinker as I was saying before. So sometimes I just get chocolate milk. Uh, <laughs> I would get hot chocolate, some type of tea or something like that. But I started leaning into, like, there's some things that I want to get done that I'm not able to get to all the time. And I'd love to connect with people. Let's talk more about either things that we're working on or iron, ironing out some some details, but let's go get a manicure. Let's go get a pedicure. Hey, I need to nice. go grocery shopping. Will you walk around Reese's with me as we work <laughs> on this issue? <laughs> nice. Yeah. I miss going shopping with friends. Like you did that in high school a lot and then you yeah. just stop as an adult. I know. Why is that? So, okay. So you are a program officer on the vibrant and inclusive team of GK. Vibrant and inclusive Tulsa team. Mm-hmm. Yes. For people who work in the in the nonprofit field or who are engaged with nonprofits, like they'll they'll vaguely know what these terms mean. But describe for our listeners what the vibrant and inclusive Tulsa team does as part of GKFF's larger larger strategy. Yeah, uh, it's really funny you say that. I was not well informed in the nonprofit community before working with GKFF, and so as we started to talk about titles and things like that, my my initial title was program associate, and I was like, I don't even know what that means. So I went and I uh, started googling, and I asked a couple of friends who I knew worked in the nonprofit space, and they were encouraging, like that is that's a great place to start. <laughs> and so the the vibrant and inclusive Tulsa team is a team that is. It's super creative. It's all around what it means to make Tulsa more vibrant and inclusive. You can you could say that's from the standpoint of the economics. So a lot of workforce and, and talent work, which is a lot of things that I, I work on. Uh, a lot of our arts and cultural scene here. So enhancing and supporting th- that work in those organizations. And the other side to that is how how are we telling our story? And so that's that's another piece that we. We lean into. There's some really great uh, conversations that happen uh, in our meetings, and 
one of the tags we we used to get or that I, I i would say people refer to us as is like you're the you're the team of of rainbows and bunnies like it's all possibilities <laughs> with you all but on our social services safety net team like they're dealing with like some really hard issues and really working through them well and i know you've had some programs where you've brought people to Tulsa to kind of introduce them to like you said tell the story get get it out there wider and potentially find people who want to come to Tulsa and help make it more vibrant and inclusive. What types of specific programs do you have that you use to try to accomplish some of your goals? Well, I'd, I'd flip that on its head to start off with. A lot of time, that's that's what I'll say media. Media wants to talk about often is, is these programs that are you know bringing people in, things like that. But we definitely do... A, a, quite a bit of programming focused on building the talent pool that we have. My colleague Josh Miller is always in the space of of workforce, whether that be you know partnering with the, the city of Tulsa, Workforce Tulsa, um, Tulsa Community Work Advance. He's doing that work on a on a daily basis, and so I truly think that's a, that's a testament to our our commitment to making sure that Tulsans are having opportunities and building opportunities for. For themselves uh, through entrepreneurship as well, whether that be through 36 Degrees North, uh, which, of course, like we're a partner in with many other stakeholders, both philanthropic, public and private. And then the, the other piece to that is some of our I won't say it goes un, unhighlighted, but but really the work that we do with our K-12 school systems. Ben Stewart, Suzanne Schreiber, Annie Van Hanken, just day in and day out, just you know, true gladiators in terms of making sure that Tulsans have opportunities within that K-12 system to be set up for success. And it's not all, all golden and rainbows and bunnies, but it, it has some great outcomes attached to it. And other ways is we have to build the base of talent that we need here, but we also want to be making sure that some of those subject matter experts or even those higher level recruits that we need to get in, like we have the opportunity to do that too. So it's always a both-and strategy. Do you, do you all internally call your team VIT for short? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I always just say, we always just say VIT. VIT, no. no matter what. Yeah, you never say VIT, it's always VIT. Yeah, what, about, the, what about Vib Inc.? Vib Inc. Well, the, yeah. the thing that I always push for is, is I think about the, the team analogies, like, hey, there's no I in team, but there's an I in VIT. And so <laughs> I want to make sure that my programs are more, things like that. But then I think about the <laughs> kind of going right there, thinking about the, the MJ analogies, like, hey, there's no I in team. And he said, well, there's an I in win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, there's two, there's two I's in the word inclusive. So <laughs> that's you true. Know. That's true. Yeah. There's a lot of eyes and vibrant and inclusive. So. <laughs> That's right. So you talked about that it, you're kind of the group that is sort of looking at the possible. So is part of it that you're not necessarily tied to a, this is a specific program that you manage. It is more, here's your goal. And it's about finding the way to reach that goal. It's truly the, I won't say the the, the sky is the limit, but yeah, we're, the, we're like the moonshot factory. Like there's a ton of things that get thrown out. There's a ton of things that get thought of and talked about. But most of those, after a couple of, I'd say, five to seven why questions, you realize they're not possible right now or they're not possible at all. But the things that do come out, the things that we do really start to, to dive into and, and get into the public sphere and as well as work with partners on, those are things that have been well-researched. And I think that's something that 
we don't talk about often. And I'm, I'm hoping everyone makes that assumption and kind of understands that, that there's a, there's a ton of research that goes in, into making sure we're ready to, to do and execute uh, on a project. And some of that happens very quickly. Some of that happens sometimes over the course of, of years, learning based on some other work or information that comes out of other programs. And some of that are, is, is things that we, we are working with local subject matter experts in. And, and by that, I mean community members who are living, breathing, and working on these issues or these areas like daily. So how do you continue to foster an environment where people are willing to throw out their craziest ideas, but also everyone's willing to kind of pick those apart to find the right ones to take forward? Yeah, that's a a good point. Some of our best conversations are when people like we're just flat out saying, how, how, how could we approach this? Like, what's the What's the best way to approach this? And it's not necessarily from a standpoint of what's possible. I grew up extremely grateful for any resources that we had come through our household, really learning the value of a dollar. Uh, And my parents did a phenomenal job of of raising us within that context. And so for me, one thing was was difficult for me to get over the sense of if, if we can make it sustainable and the financial model work, then this could work. And so finance is not being the initial hurdle, like that was a big thing for me to get over. And I say it as if I'm completely over it. I'm still sometimes working on uh, these programs. So for example, Summer Tulsa, like as we're working on that one uh, and really building it out, it's it's one that I immediately thought of like, this is going to be expensive. <laughs> but then once you put it in a context, like the benefit for the community, the benefit for those who go through the program and what the longstanding ripples could be of it, you're like, oh, okay, this is worth it. <laughs> and it, and the other thing I would add is I've been in some conversations where some some brilliant minds have thrown out the wildest, I won't call them dumb, but just like some pretty, <laughs> some pretty non-possible ideas that wouldn't fly. <laughs> and that originally you sit in that and you think like, man, I don't want to make that same mistake, but you realize that's what gets people thinking. And so the team does a great job of right. keeping that energy going, sometimes riffing off of one another, making fun of ideas and thoughts. And some of it reminds me of my, my friend group growing up, because you knew you were really good friends with somebody as soon as they started making fun of you. Yeah. No, I think that's great, because it does seem like sometimes the best ideas come from somebody riffing mm-hmm. off a terrible idea. And uh, this is leads us to my question, which is, for an organization that does so many different programs, projects, collaborations with other organizations, if something doesn't work the way you expect it to, instead of looking at it as failure, looking at it as learning or looking at it as, no, well, that didn't work. We have to try something completely different now. Because I feel like sometimes people don't, when something doesn't work, they're like, well, that didn't work and no way we did it could have worked. So now we're going to do something completely different. Yeah. One of the first conversations that I was in with George, and he does not like to be called Mr. Kaiser. So with George, he flat out named it to the group like, hey, we want to be very agile in our approaches. And so if we're doing something and it's working, let's continue to put the resources to it. And if we're doing something and it's not working, let's make adjustments, but let's also realize that this might be something that we need to cut. And so it is a process of of continuously pruning and continuously improving. But the other side to that is I've had the the luxury of working with Mayor Bynum as he was coming into office as well and through his initial years in office. And that was one of the things that he was really hammering in on every single staff meeting. And so I'd say things like that were kind of ingrained. And that's 
that's some of the the continued thinking that we have is if it works, we're going to make sure to to double down on it and continue to improve on it, even if it's working. But if it's not working, we're going to slowly pull uh, the resources and figure out a way to um, better achieve the outcomes. Well, I was just going to say, as somebody who sort of indirectly works for him in the private sector, he takes a similar approach to the business side as well. Chris is, I can't remember, are you, are you a senior vice president yet or just a vice president? Senior vice president. Senior vice president. There's only okay. like 700 of us that work. For I know. Them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean you graduated? <laughs> are so. you like 2020? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so GKFF has a lot of money. They could try and I, they themselves can try an idea. If it doesn't work, they're like, well, it didn't work. Let's learn from it. Let's try something else. But GKFF is also a funding organization. And so does that same strategy go to the organizations that GKFF gives money to? Because as a former nonprofit person, I remember one of the biggest concerns was if this fails, how are we going to get money to try something else next time? Right? Like, how do you go back to the funders and be like, well, it didn't work, but we learned a lot. It had to be the funders who also sort of agreed with the strategy that the best way to work on a problem is to try experiment, try, try new ideas, learn from those ideas and then try again. Yeah, I would say, how, what's the best way to start this? I <laughs> would say, yes, there's this notion of one year, we're always in constantly building relationships uh, because people know much more about certain things than I would say all people have forgotten more about certain topics than I'll ever know in my lifetime. And so you want to make sure you're proximate to the issues. You want to make sure you're listening to what people are saying and, and how they're approaching. But the other side to that is, as, as we're maneuvering and the information is coming out and we're continuously learning, there's definitely pivots to be made. And, and there is a GKFF, I would say, is one of those organizations we're talking and learning together. Like we're, we're, in, the, we're in the car with you. We don't want to just give you a tank of gas and say, hey, good job. Hope you guys make it to the other end. Like we, we hop in that car together. And so if we ever uh, run out of gas, we're going to we're gonna all be pushing together, too. <laughs> yeah. right. Well, I mean, soon we're all going to be driving Tesla, so it won't matter. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of Tesla, since their contingent well is here today. and Tesla's here in town? They're, they're here doing a drive-thru. Yeah, I know. It's, it's been very, <laughs> very low-key, the media about it. It's not like somebody put, slapped yeah. a new face onto a giant statue yeah. or anything. Because yeah. desperation is always very attractive. Uh, but it's... It feels like at this point, it's almost a cost of doing business for municipalities. But all that just to get to the point of since you have worked both for municipal government as well as GKFF, I'm curious how those different organizations approach when trying to bring in somebody who might be be able to create jobs. And then from the reverse, I know you've talked about that your focus is a lot on developing the workforce. So how do you, how do those two organizations sort of approach this type of situation? So for something like a, I'll, I'll use the kind of Amazon approach in which, which Mayor Byron convened a team to work on. Typically when these, you know, larger employers or large scale businesses are looking at different sites around town uh, or around the country, Usually they don't put out a, hey, we're, we're looking at you. It's more very private. It's, it's very like shrouded in non-disclosure agreements. And so makes you think everybody's partying with Beyonce because you're just signing non-disclosures. You can't talk about it. <laughs> but with the Amazon one, it was, it was really public. And it was the, one of the first times that everybody got to be in the room for everything, understanding all of the information all at once. 
And to me, what I took from listening in and helping out with many of those committees was that everybody was leading with their care and their love for the community. They were leading with, I want to make sure that Tulsa is better for future generations. And they were leading with, what are we willing to give of ourselves to make sure this is the best foot forward for Tulsa? And I would say both organizations lead with that. And specifically, knowing what your limitations are. I thought it was so brave uh, and so courageous sitting in the education committee uh, conversations where members from the city of Tulsa uh, and the municipality were just flat out telling our tech partners, our vocational partners, our higher ed partners, as well as the K-12 partners, like, hey, what's the best way we need to do this? Where are we really going? And the same for going into our our culture committee and talking about the culture of the city and the livability and whatnot. It's, It's truly interesting to see so many people learning about different facets of Tulsa that they fancy and and frequent, but also being able to leave that table now knowing this is a person that I met here, but this is also a side of town that I want to go and learn some more about because I didn't get the chance to experience it the way in which this person does all the time. Being on the the VIT team. The VIT. The VIT. The VIT team. I imagine a lot of discussion happens around the fact that Tulsa, Tulsa itself, I would say both economically and socially, is there's a dividing line between, I would say, the middle-class white people of South Tulsa and then everybody else, <laughs> right? And, like, it's it, you talk to people who grew up here. So Chris and I both grew up in Broken Arrow, right? Go B.A. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> very very high school, uh, we played Broken Arrow, and my initials are B.O., and the crowd redid the Broken Arrow song and said, Go B.O., go B.O. <laughs> Nice. This is one of the funniest things I'd ever experienced. <laughs> we like, lost that game, by the way. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Oh. I don't like to harp on bad things all the time, but Tulsa <laughs> Tulsa has Tulsa has some issues. Like I'm on mm-hmm. um, I'm on a I'm on a couple of John Hope Franklin committees. One the symposium that's now gonna be virtual and on their race massacre education committee. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things where for all of the great energy and vibrancy that Tulsa has, it also has a lot of issues. It collectively decides to either not talk about or to not concern themselves with when it's important. And I'm, I'm wondering how the, the VIT team, like when we're talking about vibrancy and inclusiveness, how are we talking about being inclusive, which especially early on actually means like weighing the numbers to have more of one group than another to sort of rebalance the earlier scenario. There's really no way, good way to ask this question, but like, <laughs> how do you, I think, I, inc- get you. I, think yeah. I get you. So one of the, the first things I would add to that is you're, we are the, the VIT, right? And so vibrant, inclusive Tulsa team, and you sit down at the table and you have to ask yourself the question, vibrant and inclusive Tulsa for whom or to whom. And I think as you start to go around the the table, you take into account what perspectives are at the table. I try to leave, and I'm usually pretty successful at this, leave an empty chair uh, in the room just because there's always a perspective that's not at the table. And so it's a little symbolism that helps me out as we're, we're having conversations. I would also flip to, we are the VIT 
as an organization, GKFF is rooted in the mission of equal opportunity for, for small children or all, all children. You can't help but dissect that a little more because to get to equal opportunity, it's not necessarily inclusivity that you're looking for. What you're looking for is equity. And so how are we building equity within what we're doing? And that's the piece continues to be at the forefront when you talk about like those differences of experiences and whatnot. We, we have people on our team who live almost in Bixby. I won't say any names. We have people who live almost in Bixby. We have people who live Jinx. We have people who live Midtown. We have people who live North. I don't think we have anyone who lives in Owasso. No offense to Owasso. Offense to Owasso. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. think we have anyone who lives in Owasso. However, with all of those perspectives, the people at the table have to know there's a perspective that's not here, right? And you have to be listening for, and you can't, we can't say, we know what's best or we know what's everything that's happening here. So you have to continue to think about what's the equitable thing here and how can we do that? And I'll be the first to say, sometimes we do a phenomenal job of that. And sometimes we have an idea that we think is going to lead to that. And you find out that it's it's not doing that the way in which you thought. And so that's where that, those adjustments come in. Is there a reason why it's not called the vibrant and equitable Tulsa team? Well, because then you're just a vet. Yeah, right, that's true. <laughs> Fair point. And I'm not that I'm not that good at fixing animals. <laughs> <laughs> Abbreviations of, are important. <laughs> all of us have been through some version of leadership Tulsa programs. Yeah. Right. So one of the things that I really enjoyed about the classes is getting to physically experience different areas of Tulsa, especially even someone who's grown up here and right. is relatively well-traveled in Tulsa for a resident, still got to see and experience things that I otherwise haven't. And it's one of those things that I wish there was a way to give everyone in Tulsa so they can see East Tulsa, North Tulsa, even South Tulsa, see them in a way that that it's not the way they think it is, that it's not the way the media shows it because there's so much vibrancy in every area of Tulsa. I miss, I I miss going places. Uh, (laughs) I'm probably in the weirdest leadership Tulsa class they've ever done. I know you're going right now, right? Wait, are you guys doing everything virtually? Yeah. I mean, so far. Nice. Well, I, I was in leadership Oklahoma and imagine going around the state of Oklahoma and well, from the comfort of your sneaker room. <laughs> it's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's a little blurry. Can you like uh, move that camera back a little bit? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I've, hopefully the one good thing that comes out of the pandemic is the idea that we need like better webcam and internet technology. <laughs> yeah. that's That's been one of the interesting discussions when everyone was like, oh, schools can just go online without thinking about all of the people who don't have internet. And Jesse, you've said this before, but hey, you know what? Maybe internet is more like a utility than it is a luxury if we're expecting people to have it to be able to work and go to school. Or even order groceries. Yeah, or (laughs) be able to eat, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, if I'm gonna, like, I'm already paying like ninety five dollars to the city for like water and trash. I'd happily give them. I'd happily give the city another ninety dollars, and not give that ninety dollars to Cox. So yeah. get on, Tulsa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, even though I, 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 I can't remember if Oklahoma is one of the states that has one of those laws where it's illegal to build their own ISPs. I'll have to look at that. But <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, not sure. Yeah. Those those laws really upset me, but the, we're not gonna talk about that now. 
Yeah. That's a hobby horse for another podcast. Now I have an actual, actual interesting question. Not like Jesse's from earlier. But, <laughs> um, so Jesse likes to talk about all of the specifically basketball sports figures that he hates. So yes. who are some of the basketball sports figures that you hate? I'm oh, curious to see if any of them intersect hate. with Jesse's. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hate or is such a strong word. Like, okay, a, a sport dislike hate. sports yeah, sport hate. hate, not like real yeah. life hate. Okay, sports yeah. hate, sports hate. I, I, I. This is. I know we're we're not that far away from it, and this is going to get me into a little bit of trouble with with friends and even family. Growing up, this this organization. So I'm talking about an organization. This organization was winning Super Bowls in the '90s. And I just, I couldn't get behind them. I just couldn't. It's the Dallas Cowboys. I just could not get behind the Dallas Cowboys. I was I was such a big Denver Broncos fan with John Elway. And then fast forward when, when Peyton came to hang out with us for a little bit. So it's, it's the Cowboys. Jerry's a good guy, maybe, but <laughs> I, I, I really appreciated Jerry World. Went down there to watch OU play a couple of times and it's, I mean, it's phenomenal. It's nice. <laughs> Listen, you don't have to justify Dallas Cowboys hate to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As as two people who grew up in Oklahoma, also not Dallas Cowboys fans, you, even if you don't mind them eventually because of being surrounded by Cowboys fans, yeah. you, you right, grow to right. dislike them. Yeah, gr- growing up here, it felt, felt like you had two choices. You could either be a Cowboys fan or a Chiefs fan. And I was just like, I was like, just because they're close, I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah. That was it. I also had yeah. the hardest pivot in, whenever uh, we got the Thunder because I was such a big Lakers fan. And I just remember one of my good friends, and <laughs> he said, I just want you to be a better fan. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I got to do better. I got to take this serious. So he got me a couple of t shirts. <laughs> um, yeah, again, like I, I, I always said, if Oklahoma ever got a professional sports team, I would support them because I'd be happy that Oklahoma got a sports team. And luckily right. for me, as a lifelong Knicks fan, one, oh. it wasn't going to matter because the Knicks are terrible. And two, the Thunder <laughs> were going to be in the West. So it wouldn't be like I'd, I'd have any conflicting yeah. games that often. And it's still orange and blue for you. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I didn't have to change my color scheme. It all worked out. I'm also a New York Giants fan, so blue teams. I'm a like oh, in the oh. Michigan Ohio State thing. I root for Michigan. I discovered this as an adult. I'm like, oh, I like blue teams. Okay, <laughs> I get red teams. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if only OU had a, a blue jersey, that'd be, it'd be perfect. But. <laughs> yeah, alternate blue. Yeah, yeah. An alternate blue. Yeah, Jesse. Jesse, so Jesse hates Jesse Reggie hates. Miller. He hates Reggie oh, Miller. I hate, hate Reggie Miller. I would say actually hate. Yeah, like, that's like real life. Actually hate him as a person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Reggie. Reggie is so clutch. Like, how yeah. do you hate that clutch? Because, like, because a lot of was... that clutch was against the Knicks. That's, yeah, that's why. why. You know? I, I really think of the him yeah. the, oh. the choking. Listen, yeah. It was. It was a great time to be a sports fan. Eight. Ugh, God. He literally pushed a Knicks player down on the ground. I'm still mad about it. As, as Michael Jordan explained in the last dance, I was not, I didn't push off. Um, Byron he was going in that direction. I just, I just ushered him. Yeah. Like at least with Michael Jordan, like I appreciated and understood his amazingness and was awed by him on multitude of occasions. Like, I wasn't even at a level where you could hate such a person, right? Yeah, yeah. But Reggie Miller and his stupid way of shooting the ball and his <laughs> ugly face. Oh, man. Not hey. a fan. <laughs> yeah. 
So speaking of another basketball question, what are your thoughts as of when they were still playing it, your feelings towards NBA basketball versus college basketball? Oh, that's such a good question. That's such a good question. I love, I love watching one. If you are, I'm a fan enough of the game to understand what it means to play it professionally. And I don't say that as a diss to people who might not understand the nuances of basketball, the business of basketball and whatnot. I just understand what it means to have to have that as your profession. And so I give that that respect to the players in the in the NBA. But there's there's a level of hunger that comes at the collegiate level, as well as a level of purity that's at the high school level. And I enjoy those separately. But there's nothing like March Madness, like absolutely nothing like March Madness. Just as you're saying, you could have a player who just has a game out of this world, and that'll probably be the highlight of their basketball careers. And then the same for uh, post, I like to call it post uh, all-star game basketball. Like that's when the season really starts to me. Mm-hmm. So to have the season stripped away after oh, a couple of a couple of weeks. So what are like, your thoughts about the the possibility of them trying to finish this last season with some sort of shortened playoff versus sort of just scrapping it and say, Hey, we'll pick it up next season. I think of it as a a guy who's holding on to a hairline that's falling apart. You got to let it go. Shave that head. (laughs) We can't, we can't, this season's done for it. It's, it's not coming back. (laughs) Yeah. This is one that we just go ahead and say, you had the best record in the West. You had the best record in the East and that's it. There's no trophy this year unless they want to give it to me. There you go. They can be Listen, they can be the Montreal Expos of, right. of the NBA. I honestly I just really feel bad for the the college mm-hmm. basketball and even high school right. basketball. The ones that were trying to do something special and mm-hmm. they're done now. There's no coming yeah. back. There was in terms of the NBA, I really wanted to see Headband Caruso with the Lakers. He was just <laughs> he was dunking on people out of nowhere and John Morant he was my my go-to oh. guy my go-to rookie this season now everyone's in discussions about what to do about f- football in the fall and like some colleges have already said they're not going to have football yeah. so like those teams are out and I'm just like this is gonna because people um, Americans we are antsy to get back mm-hmm. out there but mm-hmm. a lot of us are also realizing I understand that I'm antsy but I'm not <laughs> going to go out there because that's bad mm-hmm. and the yeah. other people who are not thinking that way. I do yeah, wonder so, how many protesters are, are honestly just extroverts that are tired of being at home. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll push this to you guys now on just the, the whole idea of, of the protesters, what that looks like, what that means. <laughs> like, come on, you gotta, you gotta, I, I just want to hear from you guys. <laughs> Jesse, like, do you have to go is, first? Oh, Lord. Please. <laughs> I mean, okay. Like, here's my problem. We are not asking that much of people right now, right? Like, for the people who are protesting, these are not people who are angry because they want to go back to work. They're angry because they can't go out to a restaurant or movie or a bar. Like, we are putting people in danger to try to reopen the economy early so that people much richer than us can go back to getting profits again. Mm -hmm. And I'm not okay with that. I had to, and I'll probably, I'll probably add this part out, but I had to go. I finally got to uh, like visit with my mom. Who's in a nursing home today. Cause uh, the nursing home built a sort of outdoor plexiglass facility for us to stand on two sides of. And they amazingly, the nursing home hasn't had any, any COVID-19, no coronavirus, which is great. 
But every time I see someone not wearing a mask, I want to go up and slap them in the face and be like, what if you couldn't see your mother? And all mm-hmm. I asked, all I asked of a stranger was you wear a mask outside for a couple of weeks. Is that too much to ask? Like, yeah. and this really goes to leadership. Like imagine, I don't know if we had, let's say, I don't know, President Barack Obama during this time. And he said, I know this is, and yeah, good guy. Also love basketball, which is how he's a good person. <laughs> I know this is hard. I know I'm asking a lot of people, but like if we, collectively, if we do this and we wear masks, this will go away faster. Like, let's do this together. I feel like while there still be these protests, because those people are going to protest no matter what, it would be less. And I feel like we'd, we would feel less anxiety about them. Like the anxiety switch happened from the anxiety about the coronavirus to anxiety about getting the coronavirus because we're opening up too quickly. Just Just to be frank about it. You see the difference between how a group of armed white people storming at mm-hmm. a government building and police, how they're yeah. treated versus literally anyone else. You Black, imagine. Hispanic, Muslim, uh. I don't care what. Anyone else does that same thing. That right. does not end the same way. So I... Like I want anyone who says that white privilege doesn't exist, I just want to send that picture to them. Yes, like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like inside the house, like the Michigan House Representatives meeting room, right? People in the second level with guns, like that would that is not something that (laughs) other minorities in this country could do. Yeah, they wouldn't even get that far. It's just it's oh, it drives me. like I was in an Ace Hardware earlier today and all the employees had masks. There were plexiglass to the checkouts and every, I'm going to just generally describe the people who are walking in and out of the, they were coming usually from a truck. They were most definitely white, a lot of mustaches. I saw not a single mask. And I, I was like, literally I, at this point, I don't mind being rude. And what, do you, what do you have against mustaches? What do you got against mustaches? I mean, come on. Mustaches are ridiculous. Uh, they never should have been a thing. No one looks good. No one looks good with just a mustache. I don't know about that. I'm thinking Aww. about I'm thinking about shaving off my uh, quarantine beard and going just mustache. Every time every time I grow a beard and I shave it off, I always leave the mustache yeah. for last just to double check. I'm like, no, it still looks terrible. I think I think Brand I think Brandon looks great with his mustache. I don't I don't think He's I great. could keep yeah, I, I don't think I could do just the, just the mustache, but David Peebles, I don't know if you guys know David. David Peebles, he gives a good stash as well as uh, Reed Spears is trying one for quarantine, and he, he has a pretty good mustache too. <laughs> I mean, I should say, like, there's obviously some people out there where a mustache would work. Tom Selleck. Generally, though. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah. Could you even yeah, imagine Tom Selleck without <laughs> that's him? True. Nope. Nope. That's I don't, true. I, well, it, I don't even think his 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 lip is there. Like if you cut no, the mustache, yeah. Away, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like Brandon, like your your picture on the G, GKFF website, like it's like you've gone reversed quarantine beard because you have a much fuller <laughs> beard in that picture. Uh-huh. Right now, didn't one of the uh, Van Gundys have like a nice mustache situation? Yeah, I think Stan. Uh, I think Stan, was it Stan? Yes. Yeah. Yes. God, I love. I God, Gotta I love, love Van Gundys. Stan. <laughs> uh, I love them both. I mean, I mean he kind of looked like in there. Kind of looked like Ron yeah. Jeremy, but he still yeah. he was a fun coach. <laughs> Listen, I will always respect Jeff and Gundy for jumping in in that Miami oh, Heat mix fight and biting a guy in the leg. I'm like, yeah, bite that leg. You uh, really don't he see that. He definitely thought that was a drumstick. 
you don't really see that in the NBA today, do you? Nope. God, yeah, man, the, the mid-late 90s NBA basketball was, I mean, it's probably horrific to watch now, but at the time mm-hmm. it was delightful. You don't have a lot rough. of Charles Oakley's and Alonzo Mornings yeah, these no, days. Slamming people down. <laughs> Ron Artest, uh, you know. <laughs> or Rodman, like. Yeah. Uh, there's there's no player like Rodman. <laughs> no. 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 There's not a person. person like Rodman. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I'm like, can you imagine someone now being like, listen, I'm just gonna rebound. That's all I'm ever gonna do. <laughs> I'm gonna have a triple double with no points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or flat out telling your coach, like, hey, I need to go to Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> or hey, we're in the finals and I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna skip practice and go. Yeah, uh, format WWE. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. The thing is, he performed. Like that's the thing. Yeah. Like, the performance was there. It's it's cliche, but I think all of us had some of the. I'm trying to remember what the shirts were, but do you remember the sports shirts that just had like like some kind of stupid cliche on it? Like the one I'm thinking of that I had was. It said you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. You don't take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's it's obviously kind of a cliche at this point, but it really is true. You can you can miss some shots. You can Jesse was talking about programs that fail and stuff like that. If you let that stop you, right? You may you may miss that big game winner that really does not just move the needle but has a seismic shift. There's there's one I, I've. <laughs> My high school coach put it on, we put it on our, our playoff shirts and it said, act like you've been here before. And I was just like, whatever. Like as a kid, I'm like, yep, act like you've been <laughs> here before. Okay, whatever that means. But it's one of those things that really stuck with me because you think about as you you progress, like you make goals, you meet goals, you set new goals, right? And as you start to achieve and ascend in whatever your your performance metrics are, at some point you have to believe, like be audacious enough to believe like I was going to achieve this like this there's no way this wasn't going to happen and so as that success is happening like how do you stay calm like how do you make sure you're acting like you believe this the entire time so that you can continue to build and not not stop and that's where mm-hmm. when people talk about I think we, we talk about GKFF and, and resources resources do do great right like resources are something that 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 we need. However, there's a certain level of commitment. There's a certain level of drive. There's also a certain level of humility that has to go into play because people don't care how much money you have or how much you spend until they know how much you care. And so how do we use that as the driving force? Yeah, I think that's a great point because as important as being able to bounce back from failure is to be able to grow from success, not rest on your lawyers. Like you said, act like you've been there before. So when you do have something successful, you, you don't become complacent, right? Mm-hmm. That you, you find either that next thing or you make that successful thing even better. When Brandon is done making Tulsa a more vibrant and inclusive place, he'll, he'll know to have other goals. <laughs> yeah. Chris, do you want to, you want to take us into our, our closing thing since sure. the, the way I do it always takes five minutes longer than it should. Sure. So, so we, we usually just kind of close with two things. The first is, is there anything, either upcoming programs or events that you'd like to plug? Or even if there's just anything about your group or GKFF in general that, that you wish the public knew more about? Give us those vit deets. 
I, I was going to say again, there's there's no there's an I in VIT. And so one of the programs that I am working on with 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 partners, of course, is like GKFF, City of Tulsa, Typros, Chamber is Summer Tulsa. And so many internships have been completely obliterated due to the economic downturn. And internships are extremely important to one, introducing folks to your city, making sure that the, the talent that is there has an opportunity to engage and grow. And so we're, we launched Summer Tulsa. It's an internship program where students will be put in consulting groups and work on issues throughout the city. And then the evenings, there's uh, what we call the night series. And so it's in partnership with Typros and what they do with intern in Tulsa to make sure that people with the opportunity to have a little bit of backstage access to some cool things happening in Tulsa. That's cool. How do, how do people connect with that? www.summertulsa.com. Applications for this group are due on the 22nd of this month. So 22nd of May. Uh, probably after this. Yeah, that'll probably be after this episode uh, is released, but no worries. Uh, we'll give people no worries. Mm-hmm. Also, I feel like you should call the night program Summer Tulsa Nights. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like that. Oh, <laughs> Where does right. he come up with this stuff? Uh, he honestly, his brain literally never stops. <laughs> and on the plus side, he has no filter, so... It, That's true. If nice. he thinks it, it comes out. It's not always gold, but it's always coming out. Yeah, listen, listen. You mi- <laughs> you miss a hundred percent of the shots. You don't take. <laughs> there it is. That's right. Bring it back. Oh. There was one that I, I uh, a couple of tournaments ago when when the Drake song was popular. Harley home, Harley home, but always repping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Listen, yeah, you, you you learn at a very young age if you're wanting to be the center of attention, you want to make jokes. Some of those jokes are not going to land, but it can't Listen, stop you. Bad attention is still attention, right, Jesse? That's right. Yep. A hundred percent. The other thing we usually close with is when we're, when we're doing this in person at Jesse's studio, you can see over the video, he's got all kinds of crazy stuff on the walls. The hat, the hat there. Yeah. Oh yeah. And other, yep. so I think though, this is a great opportunity because you've got so many, you, you are a sneaker collector. I feel like instead of talking about some crazy stuff Jesse has, I feel like you should tell us about your either favorite or coolest set of sneakers that you've collected. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. What's uh, your favorite? I know it's like choosing your favorite child, but. <laughs> well, I'll do it this way. I'll tell you what my favorite is now. Right. Okay. So. My favorite, I can look at the box. Yep. It is the Duck Camo and Infrared Air Max 90s. I wasn't a big Air Max 90 fan originally, but a shout out to Vanita Cooper with Silhouette. Mm-hmm. We were having a conversation about some up and upcoming uh, releases, and I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not feeling those too much. And as I tried to pair on, I was like, I've been missing out. and so actually jeff stavin did our best but we did not score we were very interested in getting the uh duck camo and vault green air max 90s but i'm i still got my eyes out there so hopefully the prices will drop a little bit we'll be able to to grab those up he's a big duck hunter so he loves the duck camo i just like it because i think it's fashionable (laughs) (laughs) never hunted a duck in my life (laughs) yeah 
Hopefully, hopefully between now and this episode comes out, I can get Brand to take a picture of those shoes so that we can we can attach it to the episode. So oh, yeah. These amazing, oh, yeah. yeah. These amazing shoes. And do you actually have one friend who would probably know what you were just yeah, talking oh, about? Yeah, well, he would know all those words. Yeah. I knew, <laughs> I knew, I knew Air Max 90s. Ducks. So yeah. the, other one, uh, the other one that got me really excited is the Divining, Defining Moments package, uh, Black and Gold Jordan 6s. They were just re-released, and I was the sneaker gods blessed me to my order went through. I'll say that much. We were having like a tornadic storm one night here, and the UPS man just rang the doorbell, and I was like, "What is that?" And I go to the door, and there's just this this shipping box there, of course, and I open it, and it's just like, ah. <laughs> "That's awesome." So it was it was raining and storming, and we're watching the TV, tracking the news, and we we're thinking like. We, we should prepare just in case we have to take shelter. And the first thing I do is put on my uh, Defining Moment Jordan 6s so that I can be in the tornado shelter with these shoes on. <laughs> so uh, one final question about the shoes. I always have to ask because like, it feels like one of those things that you collect and actually use, right? It's not the type of collector that yeah. you just put on a shelf somewhere to look at. I mean, these are shoes you're actually wearing. Yeah, I, I am I am in the school of wear your shoes. So we have quite a bit of collectors who like they have a lot of shoes that are on ice or DS dead stock. That's that's not me. I have about probably I say two pairs that are dead stock, and that's not because I'm not intentionally doing that. I just haven't worn them yet. But I, mm-hmm. I am in the school of of wear your shoes. I've got a lot of things in this room I can't wear. But I do have a lot of t-shirts. I guess I'm a t-shirt collector. There so. you go. You can ah. wear the hat though. You can wear the hat. Yeah. Yeah, that hat. <laughs> I, need to, I need to get a hat on uh, one of my lamps. Oh, wow. I didn't know it had the eyes oh, yeah, on it, the other it, side. It, yeah, It yeah. was from a steampunk, uh, steampunk party we did at one point for <laughs> my wife's birthday. So now the hat lives here. Yeah. Brandon, thank you so much for yeah, taking. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. Um, yeah, this um, was really fun. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Uh, and I know from like our past history that even though we talked a lot of basketball, people are still going to listen because they enjoy <laughs> hearing us talk about basketball for some reason. So... It's a big contingent of the pod for good listenership who loves basketball. Mm-hmm. And also Jesse's very humble in his assumption that everyone just keeps listening to him. That's true. Well, listen, <laughs> I, I'll be honest. When I tell people about this podcast, I'm like, all you have to do is download it. You don't have to listen. Downloads are all, the, all that matter. So, that's all you have to do. Yeah. yeah normally he doesn't tell the matters. guests that because the guests actually want people to listen to it. That's, that's true. So funny. For this episode, I'll be like, no, this one you listen to. <laughs> You listen to all of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, again, Brandon, thank you so much. This, this was fun. Yeah. The, all three of us extroverts are going to feel better for the rest of the night, uh, maybe <laughs> into tomorrow, because we got we, we got to joke around and talk about fun stuff. So, thank you so much, and yeah. go go walk around your house with with those camouflage shoes on. There you go. That and no up. one will see. And no one will see your feet. No. So. No one ever sees the feet. That's right. <laughs> the craziest part. How can I get my feet in Zoom meetings? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. To find out more about the amazing programs Brandon mentioned, you can check our show notes. And please, please subscribe to our podcast anywhere podcasts can be found. And if you really want to help, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do, maybe we'll read it on air. And as always, Tilsa, during these troubled times, wash your hands and get it done. Thank you.